They say banks are boring, credit unions are dull. We don't agree, we love them all. Except for the big banks and neos who take a market share, make consumers blue. Need a fresh perspective, new direction. Take back banking and make some connections. If you feel stuck, it's not your fault. Here's an idea, try thinking outside the vault. In his book, Atomic Habits, James Clear introduces the concept of making small changes that build up to powerful momentum. Or to borrow a phrase from professional cycling coach Dave Brailsford, the aggregation of marginal gains. Hi, my name is Zach Garver, and you're listening to Thinking Outside the Vault, a podcast for community financial institutions that love to do right by their account holders. And when it comes to maintaining a website or a mobile app, there's an incredible opportunity to make small adjustments, continually improving the experience, and compounding the benefit of those changes over time. Here's another practical example of what I mean by the aggregation of marginal gains. Let's say that you feel tired all the time and decide you need more sleep. Is it better to set your alarm half an hour later or buy a better pillow? Changing your wake-up time sounds like the easier, cheaper solution, but think about it this way. If you buy the pillow, then you will raise the quality of the sleep you are already getting, and you don't have to change your routine. You simply upgrade a system you are already using. In fact, any small changes that you make to create a better sleeping environment are going to pay off way bigger than just trying to get more sleep. If you work in the realm of finance, you'll recognize the parallel to compound interest, where small gains add up over time. Here's the catch. While most community banks and credit unions use this principle to power their balance sheets, they often neglect to leverage it in their technology strategy. In today's episode, I'll be talking with two of Casasa's in-house experts on creating powerful digital experiences, Gabe Trevino, a product strategist for First Branch and Inmo, and Anthony Rezendiz, our senior user experience manager. We analyze how consumer behaviors changed during the pandemic and how you can create a web and smartphone experience that empowers users instead of entangling them. If your institution serves customers through a website or mobile app, this episode is for you. Well, gentlemen, I am so glad to have you on this episode of Thinking Outside the Vault. We are going to be talking about creating a great digital experience, kind of website, app stuff, how, how community financial institutions can really attack this issue. And so uh, here with me today to talk about this are is Anthony Rosendiz, our Senior User Experience Manager at Casasa, and Gabe Trevino, our Product Strategist for First Branch and Inmo. And gentlemen, I'd love to just start if each of you could uh, tell me a little bit about what you do at Casasa. And uh, Gabe, let's start with you. Sure. So uh, my role specifically is to support CST. So that's our client services team. Uh, and essentially what I do is I provide expertise and consulting uh, both to our uh, client managers internally, but also uh, from time to time, also I get the, uh, the great privilege to meet with our clients as well and uh, talk to them about uh, any, anything that really is top of mind regarding sort of their digital presence um, from their first branch websites to um, their online account opening platform where they happen to be in Mo clients. Okay. 
Anthony, how about you? Yeah. So my background, uh, you know, I'm the uh, senior UX manager, as you mentioned, and I am responsible for a team of about, of about four UX designers. Uh, we're under the product um, department. And uh, one of the things that we do is we are responsible for uh, basically all of the products that go out so far as the UI, UX of all the products that uh, get produced by Casasa. So there, there are a suite of anywhere between 15 to 20 products. And so we are responsible for not only the look and feel, but also doing the due diligence of user testing and that type of stuff for all the different various things that we do at Casasa. Okay. And just for anybody who's, who's listening, who's not familiar with UX UI is, is uh, abbreviations that's for yeah. user experience. Yeah, so and user, user experience. Interface. Yep. Right. Cool. Well, let's jump in. Uh, I think yep. probably looming large in a lot of our listeners' minds is the issue of uh, how to continue running their businesses in the midst of coronavirus. I mean, everybody's trying to figure that out, right? But for community banks and credit unions who have always kind of run their businesses off of this branch model, a lot of high touch, high service interactions, uh, and that's all really been stripped away. So, I mean, it seems to me like the pandemic is just sort of pushing some of these trends towards, you know, more of a digital experience, people doing their banking online or on their phone. It seems like it's just made that happen faster, no matter where you are. I mean, I've even read some stats about kind of the, the boomer generation, the older generation who's been resistant to digital tools and access, embracing it at, at kind of surprising numbers. How do you guys see this shaking out uh, with our clients and, and for community financial institutions in general? Well, there's a definite need for um, communicating out to consumers about uh, what's going on. And I think the more uh, financial institutions can embrace that, um, I think the better off they will be. I think people are looking for answers and uh, also some assurances uh, from the different services that they use. And having that uh, come from their financial institution is a really uh, sort of a boost to them and sort of puts them at ease, especially in, in times where people are maybe losing their jobs or um, perhaps things are changing, their financial uh, stability isn't what it used to be. So it's definitely important. Yeah. And historically, you know, our, our community FI partners, you know, they've taken pride in the fact that a that their customer service, you know, uh, that that's a differentiator for them in the market, something that they do really well uh, in smaller communities. You know, we, we hear about our clients, you know, sort of knowing their customers or members on a first name basis and, you know, having people from their community come in, visit, say hi, those sorts of things. Uh, and that's huge, you know, especially in comparison with these bigger you know, what we call mega banks, where there's there's sort of a, a large faceless entity in, in many ways. Uh, of course, you know, with this pandemic, uh, that sort of has been taken away from a lot of our partners, right? That's, that's no longer a competitive differentiator. And so uh, for a lot of them, they've had to sort of rethink their digital uh, roadmap. And the fact that, you know, uh, they have to accelerate it in many ways. Something that was, you know, planned out for the next three to five years. Well, now <laughs> it's happening now, and you have to sort of 
just adapt and be flexible with that. And that's what we're seeing a lot of. And, you know, uh, a lot of our clients, a lot of our FI partners, they've They've picked up the ropes really quickly. They've, of course, reached out to Kasasa for uh, expertise and consultation. You know, my my realm sort of in Kasasa is our websites, our first branch websites. And we've had a lot of clients reach out with questions and, and needs and concerns. So we definitely have seen that accelerate. Uh, but all in all, I think uh, nothing has really changed. Just everything has sort of sped up. From the marketing side, where the department that I work in at Casasa, we have been encouraging institutions to adopt what we call reassurance messaging. So whoever you're doing your marketing with, however, whatever your current strategy is, we have been advocating that you incorporate a message that some portion of your advertising dollars are going out there and just letting people know that you're still open, you're still there to help, you're still... Uh, serving that important role that you have, you know, in some cases for a hundred years, right? I mean, that's, you know, that's long enough to go back to the, to the last pandemic, right? The Spanish flu, <laughs> these institutions have been around a long time. Um, so there's, but, so we've been seeing that, uh, we've been encouraging that and we've definitely seen some, some positive benefits to that even across the account opening. But I, I'd like to hear you guys talk a little bit about w- what you're seeing. Um, you know, in, in terms of how users are responding since the shutdown. Yeah, this is something that's that's very important to us. Uh, and um, we've conducted several tests uh, since the pandemic broke when things started closing down. And the first uh, was entitled Financial Services and COVID-19, sort of a recent banking experience. And so what we ended up doing was reaching out to uh, various folks across the country and ask them their experiences before and after um, sort of the stay-at-home orders were implemented. And what we heard was more reliance on things like the website, as Gabe was mentioning, to maintain their accounts. And that was extremely important to them, this, this notion that they could access any, uh, anything at any time. Obviously, before the pandemic, that was something. But now, as Gabe mentioned, um, you're seeing it in different, different personas, like the boomers and things like that. And so uh, the need for better telephone support was something else we heard, this, this sort mm. of trans- transparency uh, into how financial institutions adjusting, how they're adjusting to handle the challenges, these new challenges. And so um, things like things we heard were things like be patient with people um, and mm. look after customers as you would your own loved ones. That was, that was really wow. helpful. Wow, <laughs> that's yeah. really specific yeah. feedback. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And uh, one of the nice things about um, some of the tooling we use, uh, usertesting.com, is that we're able to get these these sort of quotes from people and, and sort of recorded sessions. So we basically uh, pull this stuff in and sort of process it and find sort of the uh, the different points that that are uh, that resonate with everyone. And so uh, these are examples of the types of things we we heard. Um, obviously, more of a web presence was sort of the dominant theme, uh, and that mm-hmm. was one of the tests we ran. Another test we ran, uh, just as interesting and probably more to the uh, the question that you asked, is um, uh, sort of how people perceive um, sort of the messaging on on homepages or on, on a financial institutions website. And so okay. we we uh, we tested. Uh, we found that eighty percent of people uh, that we spoke with uh, appreciated the reassurance of messaging, sort of uh, what the financial institution financial institution is doing to address COVID-19 in their communities and that type of thing. Mm. And so 
uh, and seeing it often wasn't a problem for people. So one of the open questions we had was, how much messaging is too much messaging on the main page? And so we saw, you know, we saw example financial institutions having them in the banner at the very top, in their hero uh, slider, and also down below in sort of the content area. And so we had some, we had gone in with some um, sort of a hypotheses that we thought maybe this would be too much information, uh, maybe just overload of, of COVID nineteen messaging. But what we right. found I've out, already seen it once. You don't have yeah, to tell me five more times. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I think uh, um, we had to. That was our hypothesis going in. And I think maybe because we were so we've seen it so often when we do these sites that maybe we were a little bit biased towards like thinking yeah. it was too much. Uh, but what we what we found was, um, you know, people were very in tune with with having it uh, be be sprinkled throughout the site and actually appreciated that. And so that that was a surprise to us. For us, it was um, they found it more uh, meaningful. Uh, it was a thoughtful response. Uh, they thought it was a thoughtful response for um, reminding them that you know this is the impact of, of this pandemic we're under. And so, I think being mindful of what they're going through was at the heart of of how they felt, and that was something that was a little bit overlooked uh, before we started doing the testing. Yeah, that's a great, I think that's a great point. Again, coming from my experience in the marketing organization, uh, we'll work on a campaign and I'll, I find myself as a copywriter writing the same phrase over and over again. Mm -hmm. And, and out of, you know, my own desire to change it up, you know, I, I try to do that and then it ends up not working. And I'm thinking like, oh my gosh, we've already said this 10 times. Like, let's not say it again. And exactly. I think whatever situation you're in, it's really hard to maintain the perspective of the, of the end user. Because mm -hmm. that's just, there's almost no way unless you are testing to really have an accurate picture of how many times they're reading that messaging or, or how many touches they're actually going through. So that's, yeah, I think that's great to know. Um, and I mm -hmm. think that's the sort of, not everybody has the luxury of, of doing that kind of testing. So I think that's a great insight that we can offer people. Yeah. And it's one of those things that and, it's not, it's not just, we do it once and then we forget about it. It's one of those things you come back to again and again. So obviously the pandemic pandemic has gone on for several months now. Um, it's always good to have a pulse on how people are, are feeling at any given moment. So it's not that you put the message again on the, the main page and then you check it one month and let it sit there. Um, you actually should be coming back and revisiting that uh, to make sure that the sentiment is still being felt uh, in the same way throughout the process. Uh, you know, if you, if you want to be attentive to uh, your users or, or your, the people that visit the site, you want to check in with them frequently. And, you know, that is one of the metrics that we report on with our partners is uh, what, you know, what are users accessing? What pages are they reading and how long are they staying? And sure enough that, you know, the, the metrics, the analytics bear out that fact is uh, a lot of users for a, for a lot of our clients, they were visiting these pages, not just reading, you know, those site-wide announcements over at the top above the banner, above the header, but they were actually clicking on the related links and they were scrolling through those, you know, connected pages to find out more information and specifically uh, regarding what the institution was doing around COVID-19. Exactly around COVID-19. Yeah, okay. mm -hmm. 
That's great. Um, so just leaping off from that, from the user experience perspective, what would you say are some of the biggest misconceptions that you encounter when clients ask for a design? You know, what do they think is important yeah. versus... Yeah, I think there are... I think there's, go ahead. No, no, I was just, I was just kind of restating that. It's like, what do they tend to ask for? And then how does that match up to what we recommend? Yeah, I think there are several things uh, that we could talk about here. I'll sort of touch on some of the highlights. I, I think it's a mistake to think of your site as sort of this one and done type of thing. I think it should be uh, growing and changing over time. And so understanding um, how your site works and sort of constantly iterating and improving on it uh, is, a, is a huge uh, sort of shift from how people have thought about sites historically. Historically, so it shouldn't been, be a brochure, is what you're saying. Yes, exactly, you know? <laughs> exactly. It's not, yeah. it's not just the PDF of, of the thing we hand everybody when they come in the branch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not the uh, the piece of print collateral that's sitting in the you know in the branch on the desk that's just been converted to to the site. No, it's it's more of a dynamic thing. You're going to find um, you know from your analytics and from talking to people that uh, there are actually uh, flows that uh, that people how they use the site, and so it's important to to create those sort of wayfinding wayfinding paths so they can get to the content uh, in the way that makes most sense to them. And so you want to be mindful of that and not consider your site as sort of a, just a creation of sort of um, the material that you have and just putting it out there. It's more of a a dynamic type of thing. I think that's number one. I think number two, um, identification of when the brand is appropriate. I think, uh, you know, obviously, a lot of financial institutions and a lot of companies spend a lot of time developing their their brand, their their colors, their their typefaces, their uh, sort of everything that that embodies the brand. Um, but sometimes it's to your advantage to allow the brand to sort of take a back seat to the content. Uh, you can have a rich experience by using uh, photos that engage and pull people in, sort of uh, warm, friendly, inviting photos that sort of pull pull the user in that maybe speak to the brand in some way but aren't beating them over the head with it. So that's, that's another mm-hmm. thing, I think. And then um, another thing uh, would be, uh, the third thing here, uh, heuristic evaluation. That's just a fancy word to say, sort of doing an information or design audit of your site. Uh, sort of taking an inventory, taking an inventory or a list of, of what's working and what's not. And so when you start talking to mm-hmm. people, when you start looking at analytics, you can start to start see like, what are the pages that people aren't frequently visiting? Are they that important to have on your site? Um, are there pages that people use all the time that maybe they they uh, spend too much time on insofar in as they're not getting the right information that they need? Is there a way to simplify the content so that it's a little easier to digest? As we all know, people... Um, that makes sense. Yeah, people sort of scan sites. Or not, they're not into reading sort of volumes of content. And so design <laughs> scannability, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. So, and sort of bite-sized informational chunks, sort of like chunking the content so that it makes sense for people. Mm-hmm. I think those are some big things that people can f- sort of take away from like the perceptions that you might have that, hey, I'm going to put all this content on here. Um, actually, people aren't going to have the patience for that. Keep it simple, short, succinct. Um, identify when the brand's appropriate, when it's not appropriate. And then also, right. um, you know, not thinking about your site as a brochure site. I think those are the main things I would say. Anthony, those are great. And, you know, Having spent several years on First Branch in the creative team and uh, working firsthand with the information architecture, a lot of our client sites is, you know, kind of this idea that hopefully is becoming a little bit outdated 
that your website should be your your archive, your reservoir for all of your documentation, for all of oh, your content. interesting. <laughs> That's you know? a, I never would have. I mean, I, I, sh- I guess I should have guessed that. I just wouldn't have yeah. thought of it like that. Right. And so you end up, you know, after a few years, especially if there's no one really managing said content, just this really bloated experience that just becomes unwieldy for any external user. You know, maybe internally they may know, oh, well, this document lives here, that document lives there, go there. But for someone who's external to the FI, you know, this just becomes kind of a labyrinth of just too much, too much information. And so, you know, one of the foundational steps with a first branch, when we get our hands, especially with, with uh, new clients is let's audit all of this content and figure out, first of all, what needs to go. And then if there are opportunities for streamlining and combining, sometimes, you know, sometimes we take three or four pages and combine it into one page. And then as Anthony pointed out, there's also a design aspect to the content uh, in that you have to make it readable. That, that is, mm. that should be at the very top of the list is, and chunking is absolutely one of the best strategies for that is breaking up. I love, up I love that it's called chunking. <laughs> it, it is. And it's a funny term, but yeah, there should always be this, this sort of sense, this sensitivity to making, uh, the content readable, you know, and that goes from anything from a home page, product pages, all the way downstream to any sort of documentation. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Uh, just because it it's so easy to think, it is easy to think that all you all you're really doing is trying to make the information available uh, without processing how digestible or accessible or or relevant all of those things. And and to think, oh well, it's on our website, but if if you don't process how easy it is for people to actually read it, then th- there is going to be a real um, mismatch of expectations there. And I want to, I want to drill down onto something you guys had mentioned a couple times. So we talk about analytics, right? Which is, you know, looking at site usage, how actual people are navigating on the site, what's where they're visiting, how long there's, there's a lot of depth there. Let's just say, and I'm, I'm actually speaking as someone who had to sort of set up Google analytics at a previous job for, for the company website. And I found it to be difficult. You deserve uh, a medal for that. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I deserve a medal, but uh, it's, it's certainly instructive here. Uh, well, let's say that I'm an executive at a, at a, you know, smaller institution. A lot of the people on my team are wearing multiple hats and just, we haven't set up analytics on our site. And we're looking at getting, you know, maybe a redesign. Is it a missed opportunity? Like, what can I do to get that user data that you're talking about so that I can make informed decisions about the next site? Yeah, I think first off, I don't think it's a missed opportunity. I think you sort of have to start where you are. And if you are a small financial institution, maybe you haven't set up the infrastructure to support all the types of data that you want to collect. And so I think it starts, you can start small. Um, you know, start with identifying users, uh, you know, the types of users that, that visit the site, uh, and then um, maybe start thinking about the different personas. You know, if you have different audiences, maybe it's a, your audience who's older, maybe there's a, uh, certain types of accounts that they, uh, they're more drawn to. Uh, find out who your audience is, and then, um, you know, I don't think you can, I think there's, there's two sides to it, right? There's the qualitative uh, and then the quantitative. And so qualitative just means... Mm-hmm. Uh, 
getting data about people uh, that use the site, uh, and this is actually talking to people and getting that type of information. Uh, then the quantitative is going to be the data side. So um, analytics sort of fits squarely into the data side. And so you can start with uh, quantita- uh, you know, qualitative data and sort of start collecting that and get a sense for who your audience is and then implement um, you know, either standing up Google Analytics or some other tool mm-hmm. that allows you to sort of capture that information. I think uh, the most important thing is to start, whether it's uh, the, with the data or with people. I think taking the steps necessary to sort of capture that information. And mm. normally, normally the way I describe it is you're sort of putting together a puzzle. And you're not going to have all the pieces for this puzzle. You're just going to get a sense for uh, what it actually is. is. Is it a landscape? Is it a portrait? Uh, you may not know all of the details yet, but you're filling in each piece uh, little by little. And over time, you're sort of growing it into a more complete picture of, of what it is. And so I don't think it's a missed opportunity yep. at all. I think it's a, uh, uh, you know, sort of has its advantages uh, in that you're getting started. You can start creating hypotheses around uh, what things you want answered. And so there's, there's that opportunity there. Um, you're not going to have historical data if you haven't set up uh, analytics. So, so uh, it's true that um, setting up an analytics package and then expecting to see historical information is not going to happen. That doesn't happen. But um, mm, going forward, for, from that point forward, you will, you will have the information set up. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And, you know, it, it can be overwhelming to start with the analytics mm-hmm. because there there are just so many metrics to, I mean, hundreds, thousands of things that you can look at within, you know, the, the usage of a site. Um, and, you know, I would never recommend that you start with the analytics. It's first of all, you know, just starting as Anthony pointed out so succinctly is starting out by identifying who your users are, what, you know, what are their needs? Why are they on your site? Mm-hmm. You know, um, Again, fleshing out a persona and figuring out what what that customer journey looks like, and it, it could there could be multiple journeys, but typically these journeys are centered around you know some sort of conversion, some sort of a, a funnel, right? After all, you know these websites aren't just brochures; they should be online account opening uh, platforms, if you will. Uh, and so, something that I always suggest is start by measuring your CTAs. Now, Zach, I know with your copywriter background, you know exactly what a CTA is, right? Right, right. We're talking about a, a call to action. <laughs> you got right. it. And so, you know, develop a few calls to action around what those products are that you're selling. And of course, these these CTAs could reflect that funnel, you know, and the fact that there are different steps within the funnel from just gathering information and research to getting familiarized to actually going deeper down into ultimately uh, that, that sale, right? That conversion. Uh, so after you've kind of fleshed out what these CTAs look like and you've connected them to that funnel, now you can start measuring them through your analytics. And I think if you start there, that's going to give you some really solid data around just benchmarking lead gen and conversion sales, that sort of thing. And of course, over time you can flesh out what what your analytics looks like and and what are some other things that you want to measure starting with say the home page and you know what are those paths that uh that your users are taking all the way down to actually you know clicking on that open an account we're going to take a quick break to talk about something that may help your institution when i'm considering a major purchase i like to do my research first 
There's no pain quite like paying for something twice because the first option was crappy. Actually, this just happened to me, only I doubled down and bought a knockoff kitchen thermometer twice, because I thought it was a fluke. It wasn't. That's why referrals are such a powerful mechanism for helping consumers make informed purchases. When consumers receive a recommendation for a product or a service, it helps them avoid unnecessary research and enjoy greater peace of mind. That's why we built a powerful referral marketing program called Kasasa Care that lets you provide custom recommendations with almost no effort. So when you refer one of your account holders to an insurance or protection product that fits their needs and saves them money, it kicks off a chain reaction. People feel grateful for your help. They look to you for more recommendations. And your institution earns a referral credit for every transaction. That is a win-win. To learn how Care can help you generate this stable, non-interest income, click the link in the show notes. And now we're back with Anthony Resendiz and Gabe Trevino. The, the barrier to entry to build a site is actually pretty low now, maybe lower than it's ever been, right? Like you can go online and, you know, get a template or, or whatever uh, and, and put up a website. Uh, but the difference between that and getting a site that has been designed to accomplish a task and is based on actual data of actual users and and is directed towards a certain outcome like those couldn't be more different really so absolutely I- you're right and and there is a balancing act with uh you know it's it, it is nuanced and it, it does take uh some expertise you know a a team that understands uh financial uh institutions fundamentally uh branding, you know, understands, uh, usability concerns, uh, information architecture. So there are a lot of moving pieces to a website and, but you're right. I mean, you could, you could, you know, nowadays you just go and pay for a drag and drop builder and you have a website and, you know, a couple of hours, but is it really accomplishing what that website needs to be accomplishing? And I I think those are the big questions you need to ask is, is it, is it a, a, a part of this overall strategy or is it just something that looks good that that puts your your name out there? Right. Well, and I want to so I, I want to pivot a little bit because there's like um there's another layer to this question of of digital experience, right? And we've been talking a lot about websites, which can all there can almost be an inference that we're mainly just talking about the desktop experience, right? How you how people use the site from their computer, um, but. Uh, there's the, the other layer of this is mobile banking, right? Which you could visit a bank's website on your phone and, and do that. But it's, it seems to me more likely that you're going to use the app if they have an app. And here, you know, I, my experience of mobile banking apps is that some of them are really great, but on, on, for some of those, like I have a very, a couple different accounts at, at smaller institutions. And, and I got to say that like those, there are those mobile banking apps for the smaller institutions are not good experiences. Uh, in, in one case, I've just totally stopped using the account, uh, on my phone at all because it's, it's so challenging to get in. Um, and, and that sounds like I'm just saying, 
you know, oh, small institutions don't do a good job at this. But that's not really what I'm what I'm getting at, because I recognize that there it's a big problem to solve. Right. It's not like it's easy to just hire a development team to make the app for you and continue making it better like you. So in some cases, it may just be like, well, we need something. Something is better than nothing. Uh, and I kind of want to unpack that a little bit from the perspective like the, that you guys have. Is, is a bad mobile app for a bank better than nothing? Mm, yeah, that's a great question. And, and I think it, it brings up a lot of different, uh, different things. I think first and foremost is, uh, you know, are you eroding the credibility of your brand um, by putting something out there that maybe is inferior to an experience? Uh, that you would want. Uh, obviously, if you have, if you're doing a website that's more sort of a, a responsive website, you have a little bit more control over the presentation layer. And um, mm -hmm. I think, in that sense, uh, that's a it's a good way to sort of get uh, sort of a baseline uh, mobile experience, uh, just having it be responsive to the to the you know device. Uh, whereas, mm -hmm. if you're developing an app, uh, there are a lot of things you'll need to consider, and I think um, a lot of it depends on. Uh, what your goals are. I think building, making sure that you're building it for the right reasons uh, and not just to, to say, I have one. I think that's, that's not the, the right approach. You want to make sure that it's addressing a certain <laughs> need, you know? And I think right. you know, to your point earlier, you were talking about, and I think we talked about this with websites as well, the idea of like grabbing a template and just customizing the template. There's sort of like a, a quick fix, sort of easy win that that sort of makes people think of when they, when they do something like that. But really, uh, in, in the long term, um, it's going to take a long time to maintain an update. It may never integrate with with your system uh, effectively, uh, and so oh, there right. are a lot. The back integrations yeah. are going to be a really big. Yeah, and, and not only that, if do you want people getting frustrated, as you described, Zach, this idea of like you've downloaded an app, you've tried it, it's frustrating, it's just a, a bad experience, and then you abandon it, and that's just one sort of tick in the direction you don't want consumers to go in like, Oh, I just abandoned something cause I didn't like it. Um, how are they going to feel about your, your other products? If they're abandoning this one thing, uh, you know, it's just not a good, not a good place to start. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, this, this is crucial. And I, I think, uh, you know, we, Kasasa did a, uh, did a study. It's been several years now and I'd have to dig it up, but you know, basically what we uncovered is the fact that there are some areas where community FIs absolutely, uh, will trounce mega banks. For example, when it comes to, uh, just uh, customer service, you know, uh, respondents overwhelmingly agreed that their community FI is going to provide uh, superior customer service. One area that we uncovered in this study was the fact that uh, when it comes to technology, to these sort of digital services, uh, a lot of users sort of you know, don't have a, a high opinion of community FIs. They just mm. sort of the consensus mm. is, you know, this community FI down the road, I really love them. They're great people, but they don't have that app that I need, or they don't offer P2P, or they haven't integrated, you know, Apple Pay or whatever that looks like for them specifically. And so, you know, you're already sort of as a community FI kind of uh, in a hole and you have to over deliver 
on the digital to sort of overcome these perceptions. Sometimes these perceptions are just that they're not, they're not true, but oftentimes they are. And the simple matter of, of when it comes down to, uh, to money is these mega banks have so much money to be able to invest in their own proprietary uh, mobile banking platforms. They're constantly sure. iterating. Mm-hmm. Uh, integration is key for them mm-hmm. uh, and so on. And so it is vital, I, I believe, uh, to Anthony's point, is that a community FI should go above and beyond and over deliver on mm-hmm. anything digital. It, that go and that goes obviously beyond the the, the website, the face, but uh, to the mobile app and all the parts included in that, including online account opening, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, something that we've also uncovered is the the more steps that you you add to an online account opening platform, the more likely that it will be abandoned. Um, and so, yeah. you know, approaching all of these platforms with the idea of simplicity, making sure they're intuitive. Uh, making sure that they're aligned with your brand and what it has to say in the market and, and not eroding that trust, but building on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and when, so when we were chatting about this episode, you know, before, before today, uh, you guys mentioned something that I think was really, really crucial and, and is, is kind of a great wrap up to this particular question, even which is that uh, continuous improvement. Like if you're going to make decision, you're, you're going to have to make some of these technology decisions about your website, about your mobile app, about the digital experience, and uh, uh, maybe overly simple, but a simple way to look at it is the, is the solution that you're considering going to allow you to iterate and continuously improve? Or is it going to be a really heavy, like, are you going to have to redesign it every time you want to make a change and, and keep reinvesting lots of money because it's not a flexible or agile, you know, in that way. And I think that's, I mean, I don't know. I just, I don't, I don't think we can emphasize that really enough that, that the ability to continuously optimize. Yeah. Uh, is make or break. I think that's a great point, Zach. Well, and, and positioning yourself for, for the future, really. I mean, that's, uh, so in a recent episode, I, I was speaking with uh, Vanessa Vandermeet, our, our chief operations officer, and I was asking her, you know, what would you recommend that, that institutions do to prepare for the unexpected, right? Because in some ways there's this tendency to like, well, we've been through a pandemic. Now we, we know what to do if there's another one. It's like, well, I mean, I, you know, in 2007, it was a financial crisis. Now it's a, it's a health crisis. Like we can't necessarily predict the type of, of challenges that we're going to be faced with. Uh, so what can we do? Well, we can be flexible, right? We can be agile. We can, be, you know, look honestly at the situation and, uh, and, and make serving our customers a priority. Because if, if, you know, the, the opposite of that, like the being inflexible is saying, no, this is what's important. I don't care what anybody says, like we've already decided, and this is the direction we're going and you never take in new information and you never pivot, you know, and like, that's what, you know, if, if, if anybody takes anything away from this, this episode, I want them to understand that like this, the digital experience, uh, now should be something where you're able to pivot like quickly and easily based on new information so that you can offer a better experience. Like if you can't do that, man, like get, ask for help, <laughs> right? 
So I think uh, I want to be respectful of your time. It's been a great episode. I want to kind of wrap up with with uh, one last question, which is kind of aimed at, or, or at least just to consider the fact that we we do serve some institutions I mean, it, that are smaller and and just in the scope of community banks and credit unions, like there's a lot of variety. There are the really, you know, small institutions where a small team is doing a lot and doing it the best that they can. And then there's, you know, the semi-regionals and the, the people who, you know, have a lot of money to, to maybe hire their own development team. But so, so coming back to my question, which is, is it feasible as a smaller institution to, to spin this all up in house, to own your own website development process and own your own mobile app development process. And, uh, so let's, let's start there and then I'll have a follow-up to that. That's, that's a great question. There, obviously, you know, uh, there is more and more specialization when it comes to digital, right? You know, we have a marketing team at Kasasa and just, uh, I, I just, I have lost track of how large the team is and how many different roles there are within it. Mm-hmm. And so you absolutely, I, I agree. You have to rely on a team of experts. Um, and it's, it's difficult when you, ha- when you're, short staffed when, uh, you know, you have a branch to run where, you know, you have to deal with, you know, pivot, like you pointed out with, uh, with just what's going on out there and and the fact that you have to be flexible. So all that said, I think what I want to leave our audience with are just three, just three truths about, I think that have remained constant throughout the pandemic before, after, when it comes to your website, just keep in mind that your website, it if it isn't already, it should be your busiest branch. It should mm-hmm. be the branch that sells the most accounts, that makes the most uh, loans, right? For many, uh, for many uh, people in your community, that's going to be their first introduction to who you are, uh, to your brand, how how you are are different, and what you have to offer, and how you're going to solve their problems. And again, this is vital. And the third thing is that it expresses to users what you're, how you're connected to the community, right? What what are you what are you doing? What what is that institution doing in their communities to make it a better place to live? And so, regardless of what who you ultimately end up partnering with, of course, I'm biased and (laughs) and I love First Branch. But the bottom point is, uh, I think those are the big questions that you need to be asking: is uh, can that partner help you? to accomplish those three overarching goals. And of course, within those goals, there are so many, uh, you know, pieces to that, but I think that's one good place to start. Yeah, I agree. That's great. Yeah. I think finding out the, finding the core about, about what you do, uh, you know, and then finding valuable partners or a value partner that can accentuate the things that you already do well. That's great. Yeah, that's, that's great. So, and my follow-up was just going to be, you know, what are some of the skills that you want to see from, from that team, whether that's internal or whether that's a a constellation of, of internal and external, you know, experts and partners, but I think you guys covered that. So great. Thank you, Uh, Anthony and Gabe. This has been a really rich episode and I'm looking forward to publishing it and letting people listen. I think there's a lot of meat here. Um, Certainly, 
our, our audience, the community institutions that we serve and, and anybody who's listening to this, like you're facing some big challenges in reaching consumers right now, uh, reaching your existing account holders. Like it looks so different than it ever has before. And that could feel hopeless, but it doesn't have to be like there are really concrete things that you can do to make that easier on yourself and make it better for the people that you're serving. So you got it. Yeah. It was a pleasure, man. Yeah, Thanks for conversation. You yeah, it was great. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Maintaining a secure, easy to use website with limited resources is a major challenge. And you have to pick your battles, especially during a global pandemic. Sometimes it's a worthy accomplishment just to keep your organization sailing in the right direction, let alone trying to make improvements. But once you get things stabilized, you'll need to upgrade eventually. That's why we encourage all community financial institutions, whether you partner with us or not, to look for a solution that helps you continuously improve your technology offering and aggregate those marginal gains. It'll pay dividends in the long term. Thanks again for listening to Thinking Outside the Vault, a podcast produced and distributed by Kasasa. Our theme song was written by Victoria Kerr. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing to our podcast in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Stitcher and leaving a review. This helps other listeners to discover us. You can also send your comments and feedback to social at casasa.com. <laughs>